Good morning, St. Luke's. At Thursday's staff check-in, a colleague of mine said that it was going to be a boring Sunday. <laughs> I was promised a boring Sunday. All I have to say is somebody lied. I was preparing to preach a little sermon that would include God's comfort in these times, give a nod to the gifts of freedom and pride, and be on my way to summer vacation and a short medical leave for an outpatient procedure. And then the Supreme Court spoke on Thursday and Friday and changed my course. Just in case you have not heard, Friday the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 decision overturning Roe v. Wade, ending a federal constitutional, constitutional legal right to an abortion and its relationship to women's health, supported by the majority of U.S. citizens and allowing states to go ahead and make abortions illegal. Having just returned from my goddaughter's high school graduation in Connecticut, I saw Elizabeth and other young women the platform to receive their diplomas and I thought about how their lives have been so changed in what this country thinks of them. I've spoken to her and heard her anger about the message this sends about her personhood and autonomy. With such a seismic shift in who we are as a people and nation, I concluded that if I preached about anything other than what has occurred, thoughts about what our church has to say about this issue would inevitably cross your mind. Like people throughout the country entering their houses of worship, many of you have come here this morning to 435 Peachtree Street asking, what does my faith community have to say? Does my church care about what message is being sent about a ruling that impacts women in a very personal way? Some of you heard that in this pulpit Friday night. And I believe that each of you has every right to expect your church to be relevant in your life, addressing the moral issues of our time that call for your thinking. 
which affect your family, those you care about, or your very being. So you can bring all your questions, your pain, your sadness, your frustration, and anger in prayer and leave them here. Know that St. Luke's is also big enough for those who share a different position. God is here for all of us. For if we at St. Luke's in the larger church cannot speak about gun idolatry and our children being gunned down at school, and whether we value women as full and equal human beings, then the church will become irrelevant. And the day that I am called to be silent or fail to preach that women's lives matter, this will be the day that I will hand in my ordination as a priest of this church. I also need to say that of the current St. Luke's priests, I'm the only one who is not directly affected by this ruling. Like all men, I am mindful that as a man, I never have had to confront this issue personally. So today I simply stand in solidarity with my sisters as I take this calling, this pulpit, this message very seriously. I stand here well aware that the Christian church is divided on this issue, as it has been on issues of slavery, segregation, homosexuality, marriage equality, women's suffrage, and women's ordination. I'm aware that some of you have heard from others that we are to keep politics out of the church, the community where so much of our moral beliefs and values are shaped and honed. While partisanship has no place in our status as a church for all people, politics are not only welcome, but Christian. You may remember my sermon on Palm Sunday and my reference to theologian Marcus Borg's writing on Jesus and politics. And Martin Luther King, generally referred to as a model preacher, preached that most of the oppressive political actions come from the blindness rather than the badness of people. But God calls each of us to become enlightened about issues and others. King typically included the politics of his day in his preaching, most notably sermons on the evils of segregation and his famous sermon on the Vietnam War at our National Cathedral. So today, I am in good company. The propers or readings speak to law and freedom and our following Jesus. The gospel that we just heard makes it clear that Jesus requires our commitment. And what appears as harsh and extreme when we have two people coming to Jesus, asking to bury a father and saying goodbye to a family, Jesus is simply emphasizing upon a sacrificial and focused commitment that is needed to follow him. 
There is an underscoring that following a prophetic Jesus is not easy or popular, and certain costs come with discipleship. In Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness that we are being called to do, and we are reminded of the one commandment, to love the other as we love ourselves. And at the very core of love, as the Episcopal priest and theologian Carter Hayward reminds us, is justice. As we find ourselves situated between two Sundays that cry freedom, Juneteenth and July 4th, the words of freedom, freedom in our physical lives and freedom in our spiritual walk from those actions that tear at our relationship is at the heart of the Galatians passage. These bookends, Juneteenth and July 4th, are two more reminders of our history that in the midst of the failures and contradictions about freedom, Christian ancestors read these words and believed that Christ calls us into freedom, more than just a personal spiritual freeing, but one of love that frees all of us. When we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus constantly challenged traditions and laws that fail to honor the humans standing in front of him and their needs of healing and wholeness. The Jewish tradition required that he not speak to women in public, but he witnessed to a Samaritan woman in public at a well, a water cooler, and changed her life. Jesus opened the door from a traditional strict practice of Sabbath observance and permitted his disciples to eat grains because there was a human need to be fed in front of him. They were hungry. I invite you to read the Gospels again and again and find that Jesus looked at old laws and ended observances when he saw human needs and suffering. He broadened the law of the Sabbath so that people in need were cared for. He modeled and called us always to examine a law and make sure that it is broadened with love to care for those in need, the outcasts, the marginalized, in the freedom that he gives us Mark's second chapter, Jesus states that the Sabbath law was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. So laws that restrict and take away freedoms are never on the side of Jesus and a God of justice. Galatians reads, for with Christ you were called to freedom. The writing is unequivocal that the only law that we are bound to is the single commandment that Jesus requires of each one of us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Jesus answers in the next chapter that those standing in the need of mercy are our neighbors. Love those neighbors as yourself. This morning, our young women colleagues are our neighbors. 
The women we pass on the streets and sidewalks and in grocery stores and airports, they are our neighbors. Those women who care for our loved ones and nurses and doctors, some who will be prevented from offering aid to those needing an abortion, are our neighbors. They are our mothers and sisters, daughters and nieces, cousins, friends and goddaughters standing in the need of mercy. And while some view abortions as babies being killed, as I once did before praying for a deeper understanding, and others see it as the tissues of the woman's body before a fetus is viable to live outside the mother's womb, beyond all the reasoning and justifications, arguments and strife, at the very center of all our wrangling is a woman and her body, her soul, and her life yearning to be free. God's creation standing before us as Jesus saw humans in need before him and went beyond restricting those in need because of tradition. So this day, I hope that the church can be a place of grace and walk alongside our neighbors, our sisters, who still may bear shame and guilt from an abortion, as Kristen, a former student, shared with me. And like many pastors, remind our family and neighbors who had abortions in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, sometimes to save their own lives. I also shared with Kristen that God is on the side of the most vulnerable, weeping and comforting them in their pain. Even in a time such as this, God is working to part new waters, just as God did for Elijah and Elisha. Jesus calls us into a new life for freedom, and as the song goes, those who believe in freedom cannot rest. Jesus calls us to love that neighbor, remembering that there is no love without justice. And in those moments when you are weary and worn from hate and hostility shrouded in religion, remember Jesus reassures and restores and is always on the side of broadening and inclusion. This is the good news that kept the faithful before us and will lead us on. Amen. Amen. And amen. <laughs>